Our scripture today is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It can be found on page 110 of the New Testament in your Bible. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Robbie. We've been reflecting together for a few weeks about mission statements. Well, specifically about our mission statement, our purpose here at St. Paul's. And this week, I was thinking about places that have mission statements that aren't really truthful. Like they say one thing and then they do another. Like, for instance, the mission statement of United Airlines. <laughs> Create an inclusive work environment characterized by dignity and respect that empowers every employee to serve the global marketplace and contribute to our success. That's their official mission statement. That sounds nice. But haven't you had moments when you would have rewritten that for them? Like, dear United Airlines, it appears your mission is actually to ruin all of our travel plans. Or how about this? We aim to cram the most people into the smallest space with the least comfortable seats and the cheapest snacks possible. If that was their official mission, they would be nailing it. Or how about McDonald's? Their official mission, get this, their official mission statement is to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. That's McDonald's. If they were being honest, they would maybe need to say something like, McDonald's, too much sodium, too much fat at prices you can afford. The thing is, it's not just corporations that sometimes miss the mark with their mission statements. Churches can very easily do it too. It's easy for churches to write things that sound good and actually live out a different purpose or goal on a day-to-day -day basis. I spent time with a church once that had a very big gap between their official mission statement and what they actually wanted as a congregation. Their official statement was something like, committed to Christ, called to care, commissioned to serve. Somebody worked hard to get all those C words into that sentence. It sounded good. It would have been a fine mission if it was actually what was most important to the church. 
But when I asked them what they wanted, the mission statement is not what they repeated to me. Instead, they told me what they most wanted was for their church to be the place to be in town. That's what they wanted. They had this vision of a parking lot so full of cars that when other people drove by, they would wonder, what is going on in there? That's what they said to me. In other words, what they wanted was to be popular. And I, I get it in a way. I mean, it's fun to go to the place that's popular. It's fun to be the spot that's the it spot in town. But even though they didn't say this part out loud, what I heard is they explained to me their vision for the church. What I heard is that they wanted to be envied by others. They wanted to make a statement with their size and their importance that anyone from the outside could easily see. Now, it was not just one or two people in private that told me this. I heard this from multiple people in multiple public meetings saying it stretched out over many months. It was honestly their mission and their purpose as a church. The other thing that I heard them say, this was a United Methodist Church, by the way. The other thing I heard them say was that they wanted to have their church members in important roles in the community. They wanted their members to have status, like they wanted members to be on the city council or on the school board or president of the Rotary. They wanted influence. They wanted to be important. They wanted to be popular. That was their true mission for the church. They wanted to look good. They wanted to look good. And if you are thinking that this sounds like a good possible goal for St. Paul's, that you might like those things, I hate to break it to you, but there isn't anywhere in the Bible that I can find that supports that mission. Can't find anywhere where Jesus is concerned about a full parking lot or how the community thinks you're full of important people. In fact, I think Jesus was concerned with exactly the opposite. Remember, he said, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. He said, don't, don't be like the religious people who like to wear long, fancy robes, says the person in the long, fancy robe. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Jesus. Or who like to pray long prayers in the marketplace. So the mission that these folks had in their heads, it didn't sound biblical to me. And it also was not what they said their mission was on paper. There was a gap between what they said and what they really wanted. Now, hopefully this part is obvious. I do not want this situation for St. Paul's. <laughs> I want us to take our new mission statement seriously, and I want us to figure out how to live it as a congregation. I want it to be our actual mission, not just a few words that we say to make ourselves feel better. We've been talking about this new mission statement. It's not new. The mission isn't new, but the way we're expressing it is. And I hope that it's starting to sound familiar to you. I hope that in the weeks and months ahead, it will continue to be familiar, more familiar. I hope that it's something that you get excited about or that convicts you. Or I hope it's something that feels good to you or something that causes you to reflect. I hope that the mission statement becomes something that helps us take action, that when we hear it, we'll say, yeah, that's what St. Paul's is about, and I'm a part of St. Paul's, and I want that to be a part of my mission in the world. Now, just in case you already forgot it, let's put it up on the screen again. Can we do that, Becky? Generations of disciples reflecting God's love to our community and the world. Two weeks ago, we talked about what's it mean to be generations of disciples, about how we've been here for 160 years, 
how we have this wonderful congregation, this beautiful building, this reputation in the community because of the faithful people who for so many decades have given of their time, their energy, their money. And how this also means that we continue or we aim to continue doing this, right? Making disciples of Jesus of this generation, of Hadley's generation and the next generation and generations to come far in the future. Then last week we talked about reflecting God's love, which Barb gave us an awesome reminder of today in the children's sermon, that we get to be a mirror, that we get to take the love we get from God and send it out into the world. I would encourage you if you were not in worship or you haven't gone back and watched those, either one of those sermons on the YouTube channel that you do so, so you get the fullness of this statement. Today we're at the last part, to our community and the world to our community and the world. Now, this is not just a nice way to wrap up the statement, though it does wrap up the statement nicely. It is actually an essential part of who we want to be. What it does is it tells us the direction in which we will face. That to carry out our purpose, to carry out our mission, we need to be facing not inward, but outward. We need to have our eyes not on ourselves, but on others. We need to be thinking not just though about those around us here, but we need to be thinking about those out in the world, that we face outward, that we reflect God's love outward, that here we exist to make an impact outside of ourselves, that we stay oriented to the needs of the community and the world. And why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's what he told us to do. And he did it in lots of places in scripture, but one key place is this first story that we read from the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts ends just like, or begins just like the book of Luke ended, with a scene from the last moments the disciples had with Jesus. This is a post-resurrection moment. Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, tells us that 40 days after the resurrection, which of course is a very biblical number, right? 40 days. Things of God often happen in 40 days time frame. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to the disciples. And then on that 40th day, they stood around and watched him rise up to heaven, up into the clouds and disappear. When we say that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, this is how the Bible describes that he got there. Okay, I do just want to have a little moment of theological honesty here and that is that I have a hard time knowing what to do with this story. It's the story we call the ascension. This is Jesus' ascension. Going to seminary, studying the Bible for my whole adult life has not really cleared this up for me. <laughs> and probably because the churches I've been a part of and a whole lot of United Methodist churches just kind of ignore the ascension. You know, there's a whole holiday called Ascension Day that we don't ever celebrate. <laughs> We just sort of leave it on the liturgical calendar. We just, uh, so this is not a sermon on the ascension and we're not gonna talk about it at length here. I just wanted to acknowledge that it's an odd story, okay? I mean, to imagine Jesus kind of rising up into the sky on some kind of cosmic elevator and then like, where did he actually go? Right? If we think about it for too, too long, it can get a little confusing. So the best thing to say about the ascension, I think, is that this is a story about how Jesus is not here. He's not here. 
a pastor named Danielle Scheuer, she's written that she would like to call Ascension Sunday the great day of honesty in the church because, she says, it should be the day when, quote, we all admit out loud that Jesus isn't here and we all wish he were because most of the time we have no idea what we're doing. True. So, that's the Ascension. <laughs> Maybe I'll preach a sermon on the Ascension next time, on Ascension Sunday, and we can delve into that more deeply. But right after the Ascension, we didn't read this part of the story, but what happened is the disciples, they just kind of continued to stand there. They were sort of stuck, just looking up in the sky. And, and I can understand why. It was just another moment of shock for them. They had already survived the trauma of Jesus' death and then were astounded that he appeared, resurrected to them three days later. And then for six weeks, they had him with them. Right? They didn't know quite when or where he was going to show up, but he kept coming back, offering teaching and reassurance and comfort. And I suspect they kind of liked that. And then after 40 days, 40 days after Easter, he was gone again. And they were surprised bewildered and just stood there with their heads looking up and I assume their mouths open. In the next verse it takes some angels, men in white robes, to come tell them to stop staring up in the sky because Jesus is not coming back anytime real soon. So what'd they do? They went back to Jerusalem, they went to their upper room, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit blew through that room in a way that rocketed them out into the world to do what Jesus had told them to do. Now, you might have missed it with all this disappearing of Jesus part, but the most important part of the story, I think, is what Jesus tells the disciples to do. They gather up with Jesus that day. They're not looking for a job. They want the kingdom to come. They want some glory they ask Jesus, is this the moment when you're finally going to establish the kingdom? They've been waiting, they've been wondering, they've been wanting this, this day when Jesus will bring all the peace and all the power and all the healing and love he's been talking about. And they say, is today the day? And Jesus says, you don't get to know what day it is, which means not yet. <laughs> We're not there yet. But he does tell them what's going to happen next. He commissions them he consoles them. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you with power, and then you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify to me. You're going to be the ones to show this kingdom to the world. You will tell everybody about what I did and what my kingdom is like. Jesus tells them they're going to spread this good news of God's love and God's power to the very ends of the earth. That's their instruction. That's their purpose. And then he leaves them, at least physically he leaves them. And this period of his appearing to them after the resurrection is over. And what Jesus says is going to happen happens, right? They wait. Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit fills them up. And then they start telling the story of Jesus as far and as wide as they can. Jesus says, expect the Holy Spirit and bear witness to me. Those are his instructions from the passage. If we were looking for a way to summarize our discipleship today, that would be a pretty good list. Expect the Holy Spirit and bear witness to Jesus. But not just to ourselves, right? 
We don't just go around telling ourselves and telling each other about Jesus. We don't just focus here on each other. What this moment in Acts is doing is turning the disciples away from their small group out into the world. Turn them out so that they can put their attention and their focus on others. He wants them to witness to the world. You can guess, as Jesus orients those disciples, I think he's orienting us. And the truth is, the world, it needs Jesus just as much as it ever has. Think about the things Jesus did for the crowds around him. He fed people who were hungry. He healed people who were sick. He made space for people who were cast aside. He embraced people who were made to feel ashamed or feel guilty. He challenged people who abused their power. He forgave people who screwed up. He loved people from sunup to sundown. He showered love on people in real ways, and it changed their lives. And friends, there are people in this world, people right here in our community, who still need all of those same things. So many people around us, right here in Papillion, who need food and who need healing People who feel excluded, who need to be included. People who feel weighed down by shame, who need freedom. People who have made mistakes, who need forgiveness. And we have the chance to introduce people to the guy who can do all of that. We get to bear witness to Jesus and to share his love with this world, to spread seeds of the kingdom into this world that so desperately needs it to our community and the world. There are great ways that we do this already, through our mission giving, through occasional projects that we have. But having our community and the world there in our mission statement is a reminder that being concerned with the, with the needs of the world, it's fundamental to who we are. It is part of what we are about. It's not just something nice that we do every once in a while being concerned with the needs of the world, wanting to share the love of Jesus as far and as wide as we can, it is essential to our purpose. So my challenge to you this week is to pray. To pray for God to show you and to pray for God to show us where we can make a difference in the world around us. It might be to fill a need in our community like we're trying to do with our diaper pantry. It might be that God sends individuals and families to us who are looking for a new start and a new story, and we get the chance to share the story of Jesus with them. Pray, pray with me that God will continue to help us face outward, that God will keep us oriented to the world around us. Pray that God will help us bear witness to all those we meet, to the ends of the earth. Thanks be to God. Amen.